This Brooklyn Paper Radio clip is brought to you Whoa, by... whoa, hold on a second, Vince. If you want to advertise on this clip, you've got to call Ralph D'Onofrio of Brooklyn Paper Radio at 718-260-2510. Yeah, go in there, do what you got to do. I am one of the last defenders of Tom Cruise. I listen, did you, what was the movie he, he did uh, before this last Mission Impossible? It was... Oh, oh that, that could be out of do it. I'll pick it up. Yeah, just pick up his speaker. Hello? Hello, it's Gersh Kunstman and Vince DiMaselli of Brooklyn Paper Radio. Who are we speaking with? Hi, I'm going to put Adam Duritz on the phone. Oh, this fantastic. is very fantastic. Perfect. Who was, who was that? Adam, Adam, you're on. Adam, Hello. Adam Duritz, how are you? This is Gersh Kunstman and Vince DiMaselli of Brooklyn Paper Radio. How's it going? <laughs> we were going to ask you the same question, but thank you for coming on in advance of your Coney Island concert later this summer. How have you been? I'm okay. There you go. Where are you right now, just so we can set the scene for our listeners? Home in New York. Home in New oh, York. So he's in go. New York. There you go. That's it. So listen, you're going to be playing this new amphitheater in Coney Island. Now, you, you, have, a, you have some experience in Coney Island. I, I know some of the videos you shot, you shot out there. I was at a show at uh, Hammerstein Ballroom a couple years back, and you mentioned that you'd been out there like just a few days before. Uh, so are you – like? Tell, tell me about your experiences in Coney Island and why you, uh, how you guys end up doing the show out there. Well, I mean, the only thing I've really done out there is uh, I went to see a friend's film out there once. But then I, uh, we made the movie, uh, the video for Big Yellow Taxi at Coney Island. Yeah, it was shot it all... It was kind of cool because it was, uh, it was uh, you know, amusement park in winter. Yeah. You know, and it, and it was kind of, uh, it all seemed so sad and desolate and beautiful. It was kind of great, though. The irony, of course, is you can't get a big yellow taxi in Coney Island anymore. It's, like, impossible. Just a little irony. I don't know if that's ironic. It's just, it's just sad. It's just hey, true. it's the magic of filmmaking. Don't ruin it. <laughs> there you go. Sorry. Sorry about that. Well, uh, no, I, I always find Coney Island to be an attractive place in winter and summer because of what you talk about. That kind of, and, and that's the kind of thing that a songwriter like you homes right in on. That's kind of sadness, the bittersweet quality. That's a big Vince DiMaselli thing, by the way. He yeah. likes that sad stuff. That's so what let's, I, let's let's keep it sad, okay? That's what that's what I that's what I that's what I'm into. That's one of the reasons I love Counting Crows so much. So, the the songs and why not? It makes for a poignant poignant uh, podcast. <laughs> well, let me ask you: Are you a sad guy, Adam? Because your songs are like they they tap into the melancholy of the American experience uh, and my personal experience too. Are you a sad guy? Well, I would say I mope. You mope, but I do that professionally. It's not a twenty-four hour a day thing. I only mope at work. Yeah, he sounds, he sounds <laughs> he's in a pretty good mood right now. I like that you can mope at well, work. You're writing a song. You're sitting probably alone writing a song. Like if I mope at the office. Right now. I no, no, I wasn't. I was watching a movie. No, I'm saying well, <laughs> when, you, when you do your work, you're, you're sitting there, and you've got to tap into that sadness. If I do that at, at the office, everyone's like, ooh, what's wrong with Gersh? Ooh, should we do something? Ooh, you know. It's, it's a pain in the ass, frankly. Maybe, but you might seem mysterious and, and powerful, too. Mm. I like that mystery. Mysterious. I don't think you should discount that entirely. Mysterious and powerful will get you places, too. What about, you're talking about with women, obviously. No, just look at the Wizard of Oz. Wow. It looks he, all over the place. He pulled out a Wizard of Oz reference. That's mysterious and powerful. I mean, he, but the great and powerful Oz, I mean, pay no attention to that man behind the uh, curtain. No. I mean, he doesn't say mysterious, he just says great. But if you think about it, he's kind of mysterious. <laughs> he's very mysterious. Until, they, until Toto basically grabs his little pant leg and the whole jig is up. Yeah. <laughs> how'd, yeah. how'd we get on this wow. one? I don't know. That's what v- happened. Vince, look, I want you to know, Vince introduced me to your, your band, your music. I love it. But Vince has to ask you the tough questions. Vince, go. Why do you, you always throw because me under the bus like that. The fact like is, that. Adam, this is not just like 
puff piece time. This is tough question time. Vince, go. Well, Wait, before we go further in this, let me remind you, though, because it just occurred to me that even with his him being unmasked, <laughs> the book and the movie are not called Dorothy and Her Dog. Good point. It's called The Wonderful called Wizard, Wizard of Oz. Of Oz. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Is it called The Wonderful? It's top billing. The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. Is that the actual name the of the book? book? You mean no? The book is the no. Wizard that was of Oz. just a song. Uh, the book is the, the Wizard of Oz just by, by L. Frank Baum. I heard of him. All right. Anyway, so, so you're trying stuff. to you're trying to dodge and burn here, Adam. But <laughs> Vince has got the tough questions. Now listen, you played. Oh, I don't know what I'm dodging and burning yet. Yeah, you, I, I will dodge and burn, but not until you tell me what it is. Here it comes. You, you played Brooklyn. You played Sorry Williamsburg. I was at the uh, concert in Williamsburg, and and uh, that particular venue was uh, it was I guess sold. It, it moved from one venue to another, where there was a great view of Manhattan, a view of the skyline, and you're on stage, and now we're looking the other way, and we're looking toward, I don't even know what we were looking toward. Well, we, you know, and you kind of had a, a, a reaction to that, but now this, this theater in, in Coney Island, do you know anything about it? No, but i tell you about the thing in Williamsburg, because I'm with you on this one. I, I had heard about the venue in Williamsburg, on the water, and it was supposed to be really beautiful. I'd seen pictures of it from the year before. Mm-hmm. And we agreed to play there. And then they moved it to a parking lot a little bit inland. Right. And they painted the parking lot blue as if that's the same thing <laughs> as being right by the water. And all I could think of on stage was, this is not what I was promised. Yeah, so, This is not right. on the water in Williamsburg. Like, they moved it into a parking lot because it was bigger. Well, you look. You, it was just you, a concrete lot painted blue. But you it's sell not tickets. the same you thing know? as being by the water. Right, but for the band, I mean, you're on stage either way, right? You want to just fill the place, right? Yeah, but there's a vibe. There's a vibe. I mean, that was vibeless, that parking lot. <laughs> it was. It was. Now, it was vibe-free. Vibe it came free. completely vibe-free. Well, the, the new venue in Coney Island promises to be a lot nicer. I don't know if we're going to be facing the ocean or if we're going to be facing the uh, 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 Surf Avenue, but... You know, it's definitely going to have a, a a better feel. We're really looking forward to it. It's a big, uh, it's a it's a big opening up up here in Brooklyn, and and we're glad that you guys are going to be there. And I hope it, I hope it's a better vibe for you when you get there. I'll tell you that. Well, I got to think it's got to be. I mean, it's not that parking lots are bad. You know, Stone Pony down in Asbury Park at one point started having those outdoor concerts, and they just put it in the parking lot next to the building, and that was a great place to play a show. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that that had some vibe. All right, just so you know. Uh, that, I assume Coney Island is going to have vibe no matter what. Just so you know, that was just Vince's warm-up. That was the easy question. <laughs> He's got the tough one coming now. All right, so I'm driving in my car. That wasn't co- a really tough question. What was <laughs> no, the question? That was Did the I e- not answer the that question? That was the either? easy question. Here comes the tough one. I don't know where he's going with tough questions. Oh, okay. Listen, I'm driving in my car the other day with my kid, right? He's nine years old. He's a great boy, Adam. Okay. I don't know if you know him. He's a great kid. And what comes on the radio but uh, Hungry Heart by Bruce Springsteen, right? So we're singing along, right? Got a wife and kids in Baltimore, Jack. Right. And, um, and the song's very upbeat. As, you know. as one does. Yeah. As one does. <laughs> the song's very upbeat. And my son stops me like mid-verse, and he's like, Dad, this song is, is very sad. It's so sad. It's about he left his wife and his kid, and now he's off someplace else. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's, that's the magic there. That's the magic. It's the, the sad song that for some reason makes you feel good. And what I was explaining to Gersh before was, when I listen to your songs, which tend to be sad, it makes me feel good. So why is it that sad songs make people, specifically me, feel good when they should make me feel sad, shouldn't they? You know, this is the eternal question. The tough question. I told I'm you. I'm glad you asked me this. I'm glad you asked me. But, I but, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. But I am glad you asked me because it enabled me to say, 
I'm glad you asked me. Well, what, well, I always what, wanted to say that. Well, what do you listen to? What, Honestly, I don't know. I, you know, I thought at the beginning of our band that we would, one of the reasons I thought we'd never be very popular is because the music was very personal for me. Mm-hmm. And I actually had people at the record company early on tell me, you should change the way you write. You use too many proper names. You shouldn't say so many specific places in songs because it makes it so everybody can't identify with it. Mm-hmm. And I, I understood what they were saying. They, were, they made a point to me, multiple people at the record company at first, that we would never be really, really popular until I figured out how to write more general songs. And that's why you wrote um, like Einstein on the Beach or something like that? Nah, that was just an exercise one night. Okay. I was never putting that on any records. Yeah. Um, but uh, I funny. thought they were probably right, but I kind of didn't care because it still seems like a stupid way to write a song to be purposely vague. Um, well, work but for I Bob Dylan. Were right, and I was surprised when we were like really successful. But I, it turned out that like personal stuff for me, uh, somehow people identify with that, and it becomes personal stuff for them. Well, because when it's personal for you, they know it's real. Like you're tapping into the vein. Yeah, that's kind of how it turned out. Although I was surprised at that at the time because you know never had had any real experience with like mass culture. It made sense to me when people were telling me it was a bad idea to be specific. I just didn't want to listen to them very much. But I thought they were probably right. But it turns out, like, I don't know. We all identify with things together. Well, we, we all share a lot of experience, I guess, with each other in the world. And when someone puts it out there in a song or a play or a movie or a book or a painting, uh, it means something to the rest of the world to be able to feel what they were feeling. I think sometimes people don't necessarily want to just feel bad or feel good. They just want to feel something. I mean, I got to say, I look at a painting. I never get any of visceral reaction, the kind of stuff I get from your music or Bob Dylan or whomever. Well, who do you listen to? What, what music taps into that experience for you personally? Well, I like to listen to myself talk. <laughs> <laughs> Musically. Musically. I don't know. Come on, you uh, like a guy like Connor uh, Oberst, you like Bob Dylan, obviously, you like Neil Young. What do you, when you sit down and you got to cook dinner, what do you put on? Seamless. I listen to all kinds of music all the time. Uh, I love Miles Davis. The last couple weeks, I've been having a, uh, a Bell and Sebastian uh, thing. I started at the very first album and went through about five records and three or four EPs and a couple bootlegs. Hmm. Um, I just was kind of like digging, going all the way through it. Um, uh, last the other night we were listening to uh, the first Ben Queller record, Shasha. That's a great record. I forgot how great that record was. Well, Jimmy, Jimmy, get us a copy of that album. Yeah, see if we can work. Jimmy, our producer Jimmy. Yeah, it mean, get a it copy. means a lot. When when I I listened to I guess one of your albums you mentioned, I got Ben Folds on the radio, and like nice. a couple days later, I went out and bought the Ben Folds Five album, and I loved it. And oh. that like that had an effect on on my actual that actually had effect on on what I purchase. You know, and then when I listened to that's Get, a great record. Yeah, yeah I mean, I it, it affected me too. <laughs> I was driving around that day, uh, listening to it in my car in L.A. I remember very vividly listening to it and then getting home, finishing uh, the song "Monkey," mm-hmm. and putting that last verse in that way. And and then listening to Gaslight Anthem, I we got the album at the office here, and all of a sudden they get going. And Maria came from Nashville with the suitcase in hand. I'm like, wait a second, that's a County Crows reference, which to me came out of nowhere. Got that album, and I've bought every album since. It's just great stuff. Look, I'm a Connor Oberst guy. Just yeah. putting it out there. Okay, well. You... So now you're doing this. Uh, Nobody cares. <laughs> this, this concert with uh, with uh, Rob Thomas. So how does that like? How does that come about? Like, do you guys have to sit down and figure out who's playing with who, and 
and like is that do you, do you get like the the guys from the the corporate guys coming in saying oh we're going to match you with this guy how does it work out that you end up playing with rob thomas well it's a little bit of all of that stuff obviously they have their suggestions i mean first of all you have to figure out who's touring that summer so mm. you know you, you might ask your uh agent about that just to get a list of people who actually are going to go out on the road because then you can figure out if people are actually working or not whether you can go out with them um so I, you know, I get suggestions from people and lists of things, and then you know, pick who you want to go on tour with. You know, I, I really wanted to go out with uh, uh, Citizen Cope last year, for instance, and it just happened to be I, a friend of mine had been turning me on to Citizen Cope, and I just happened to ask about them, and they were strangely the one of the bands that came through on the first list our agent sent to me, and I was like, oh, let's go with them. There you go. Uh, and when we asked Citizen Cope, and they were into it too, and it was a great summer. See, you I'm... know, like uh, I was on the phone with. Uh, Chris Caraba from Dashboard Confessional sure. is one of my best friends, and we've mm-hmm. been talking for years about touring together, uh, and we were thinking about doing that next summer. Sometimes it's just two friends talking about touring, and then you do it. In this case, uh, somebody brought up the suggestion of Rob, and we were talking about it. I used to be really good friends with Rob. Like 20 years ago, we were really good friends. I haven't seen him much for the last 10 years, but uh, it seemed like a fun idea. I thought it would be a really good tour. It would sell a lot of tickets, and um, it's kind of nice to spend time with people you like because you're on the road so long. You don't want to travel around with douchebags. <laughs> that is very. <laughs> I, I say that to you know, Vinny Rob's all the really time. Good guy. I, I, that is like with the motto that Vince and I live our life by. You do not want to travel with douchebags. Yeah, it's a, when you're when you're hiring someone at the office, you want to make sure they're not a douchebag. So Actually, I will tell you a story, Adam. Just I know you, obviously you're the celebrity, and we're a bunch of bozos. But we once hired a douchebag. <laughs> we used to have a tradition where we'd always get free pizza on production night. And this guy got the pizza, decided he wasn't it was, hungry. It was, it was a hard-fought <laughs> tradition. It was hard very difficult. Tr- when you work for a local paper, it's tough to get somebody to buy you a pizza. Anyway, he, so he says, I'm not really hungry. And he throws it out. Throws it out. And then the boss comes in and is like, hey, I guess I don't have to buy you guys pizza anymore because you're just throwing it out. And we fired that guy. We did. So just so you know, don't work with douchebags. Yeah, and that sort of douchebaggery will wear you out. <laughs> Life's exhausting enough without a guy throwing out the pizza. That's exactly right. Right. And then three hours later, Vinny and I were hungry, and we were like, "Hey, what's that smell?" And we looked around, and there it was in the garbage. If it's just been on the table, it we would have eaten it. It was the most expensive slice you can get. Too. Unbelievable, Adam. Now I'm riled up. Yeah. Bring me down. Give I me don't something. Blame you. <laughs> Give me something. <laughs> Give me something. Oh, I'll tell you something. I'm going to throw a blast from the past at you. Because my girlfriend, who is listening and loves you, although loves me more, frankly, she loves that song you did going back to Georgia with Nancy Griffith. Do you remember recording that song? Jimmy's going to play a tiny snippet of it, but do you remember recording that no, song? No, of course, yeah. She says, she says your voice is what makes the song even more than the song itself. I give it a tie. <laughs> uh, I, that's my favorite guest vocal. I've, that's my favorite duet I've ever done. Yeah, your voice is fantastic. My girlfriend, who actually is like a musicologist or something, she's like, he's got that plaintive voice. I can hear the pain. You're pulling it off, baby. I got to tell you, this is funny. I was just talking about this a few days ago, this song, because my parents sold the house in Berkeley, and they moved down to Santa Fe. They moved to New Mexico. And they're having dinner the other day, and they meet this guy at dinner named Al Anderson, who you may remember was the guitar player for NRBQ. Oh, Remember yeah, that band? Yeah, sure. New Rhythm and so, Blues uh, Quartet. Yeah, so Al, who I was, I idolized as a kid. I mm-hmm. saw them a hundred times, probably. Um, but more importantly, 
the vocal that I the the, the uh, trace vocal that I originally replaced on that on that was was Al. Oh. Al plays the guitar on Going Back to Georgia, and he sang the original vocal on it. I ended up rewriting all the man, all the man's parts. I rewrote the lyrics except for the chorus, but that was it was his voice I replaced on that. So we're on that song together. And my dad said to me, "Yeah, I met the most interesting guy the other day. I wonder if you ever heard of him. His name's Al Anderson." He said, "Holy crap, Dad!" First of all, he's my idol. Second of all, you tell him your, your son did a duet with him. You know, we're, we're on a song together. But your father didn't know. So That's he, pretty cool. He didn't close the circle. I was just circle. thinking about that like two days ago when my dad brought it up. So now we've closed the circle because it's like you, me, my girlfriend, your dad, and Al Anderson are like one. We're like one. We're like a family now. Does it work like that? I'm not sure. I'm not like talented. That. Adam, I'm that not talented. That was a really fun thing because I showed up for that and Nancy was really cool. We were in Nashville. I'd never really been to Nashville before. I flew in between two gigs. Uh, and we worked on it all one night, and then she took me out drinking, nice. and we got hammered, and she told me, like, old-time country stories. Now, it, was, it, was, it was good. It was so much fun. She can obviously perform with anybody. She picked you because she liked your, your voice for that song, you think? Yeah, and she let me rewrite it, too, which I was, I was really pretty intimidated coming in there and saying, hey, could I write my part? Wow. <laughs> but she was really cool about it. I mean, I, I idolized her, too. So you're getting uh, royalties really... off of that song now. Do I get royalties? I probably get some kind of publishing. I don't know. Yeah, there you go. Maybe. That's a, you get those like seven cent Not checks. Not much. I mean, she wrote most of it. I just wrote some lyrics. I know, but like Steve Martin used to get seven cent checks and you know royalties in the in the jerk. Did so, he cash? Oh, did I he mean, cash like that? Yeah. No, I don't know. I'm just oh, making it up. a movie. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, right. So the thing here is in in the office. I'm the biggest. I'm the big County Crows fan, and I'm 45 years old. So I'm 45. 45, Adam. Yeah. A so, kid, a baby. <laughs> so I gr- I grew up with you, but I have you know young reporters working for me in their 20s, and they're like, oh, County Crows, yeah, they're good, they're whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 County Crows are, are awesome. They're fantastic. It's like the greatest band, whatever. They're they're always like, they, I'm telling you, and they, I know and the kid. They're Fargo they faced kids. No, they call it dad rock, and to me, yeah. I'm just their dad. Yeah. Well, that's bad enough. I know, and. And, I, and what I'm trying to figure out is what is it about rock and roll where as songwriters and, you know, your last album is fantastic. I love it. I listen to it every day. But as songwriters, the it seems like it seems as if as they get older, it's they you know, they they're not going to get the kind of praise that they got when they were younger. You know, when Mr. Jones came out and you guys were being called, you know, the next great thing. And then. The years go by, and all of a sudden, it's just it's that excitement isn't there anymore. And I, I always try to wonder, or I try to figure out why that's the case. You know, Klosterman. Oh, Chuck- well, I think it's it's pretty easy. Um, you know, rock and roll is not music's different from all the other art forms in that, like, it, it, you wear it as part of your personal cool. I mean, hell, you actually wear it as your T-shirt. I'm wearing a, a Phoenix Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix uh, T-shirt right now. You know, mm-hmm. we wear our our personal cool is so into the music for, for whatever reason, like unlike every other thing you might like movies, art, whatever you walk around wearing the band t-shirt. You talk about that band you like as a part of the clique of people you're in. That's cool. It's a part of the, the journalism that goes into it too, is talking about this, this music's cool. This music's uncool. We should all dress in plaid <laughs> and, and, uh, and wear Doc Martens for this decade. And that will be cool, even though, in, in a way, once you start doing what somebody else already did, you're pretty much the essence it, of uncool. It ceases but, being cool. You know, that's, that's kind of, music has that cachet to it that all the other art forms don't have, that people get really wrapped up in describing themselves and their own kind of personal cool by the music they listen to. And once you start doing that, it's always going to be about 
whatever your new thing is, because that defines your generation or whatever. Musicians aren't really that way about it. Musicians just tend to like music. But it's the big part of being a fan and a big part of being a journalist in music, I think, is really talking about what's cool and what's not cool. Um, it's just kind of the culture of rock and roll has a lot to do with that. But, um, but the question, but I, think, I think it's just more of a fan thing than a, uh, than a musician thing. But let's talk about but it's kind of life. You know, it's, there's no sense denying that, like, rock and roll started because a bunch of teenagers didn't want to listen to what their fucking parents were listening to. Yeah, and they're like, fuck you, mom and dad. And mom and dad are like, hey, get off the lawn. You know, and, uh, <laughs> so they listen to their music. So that happens every, every few years. That doesn't stop happening. But as but, a musician, you just try not to be the one standing up there saying, hey, get off my lawn. Well, that, but, but now, that, everyone else does it. That was the question that it's Vince was... part of life, you that, know. That was the part of the question that Vince was dancing around. And I, and I grill salmons for a living journalistically, so I'm going to grill you right now. My question is, you write great songs early in your career. You write great songs middle of your career. I'm not talking specifically of you, but a, a guy like Bob Dylan, a guy like Neil Young, wh where does the creativity go? Why do they fall off? the edge. Now, you don't have to speak specifically about those guys, but come on. I've been buying Dylan albums. Last five, six albums, they are bad. The songwriting's not there. The performance isn't there. What happens? You're a musician. It's not, you're not, I you're don't not, know. I wrote the best song of my life on our last album, so I'm... No, I'm, you're not there yet. But, you, I, but I understand what you're talking about, but I sometimes I wonder whether we're just not... A guy can be really ahead of his time at a certain point, and it may take everybody a little while to catch up with him, Yeah. but then they can always they get him but maybe he moves on to something different and you don't catch up with him next time you so, know like so uh, it's me. i think at the beginning of dylan's career a lot of people were really critical of him yeah that's true you know but then we got to realize how cool it was and now we've had 40 years to look back on bob dylan and yeah you know believe me you're a moron if you can't figure out that like a rolling stone is a good song at this point whether it was groundbreaking then or not it's easy to see that it's good now Maybe he's just interested in doing something else right now and we're not seeing it, or maybe it's not quite as good. You know, art's a weird thing. You just do whatever you feel like doing. Yeah. And some people like it sometimes and some people don't. I mean, don't forget, like, Van Gogh never sold a painting in his entire life. So for his whole life, he's a shitty indie band, not selling any records. I mean, his entire life, not one single painting. So he's a total failure. Well, now we can look at it and say, hey, Van Gogh's pretty good. You know, but at the time, he was like, shit, messy stuff. People didn't like it. You know, they couldn't get in any shows. I mean, it didn't match it's a weird their thing, but it he's didn't just match doing the what he's doing because that's all any of us do. You just kind of you follow your art where it goes and you make it. Wow. And sometimes that's going to be something that everybody likes. Most of the time, it's going to be something that nobody cares about. And sometimes it's something that everybody hates. But like, you know, it just the truth is we miss most of the great art. Like, for every band that you know that you love, there's five billion bands out there that are great that we've never even heard because yeah. most stuff just goes unlistened to. Yeah. You know, if we're, so someone like Dylan, I think it's just that what he's interested in doing might not match up with what you want to listen to all the time. And, uh, and, and if you have a whole lifetime with someone, you're bound to have periods where you just are not on the same track. Yeah. I mean, another thing to think about you is... You know, I just think it's, that's natural. I feel like you put out one great song, one great album, one great song... That's more than 99% of the planet is capable of doing. You've done, you, you're a greater artist than 99% of the planet with one song. And Dylan did it. But I don't think that's the case. Yeah. I think that there's a billion great songs out there. We just don't even hear most of them. You know, like, because I have friends who play in indie bands, a lot of them. And they are putting out records that are astounding, amazing records. But they're not going to go down like, you know, Highway 61 Revisited because 
truth is that most music no one ever even heard, hears. Mm-hmm. It's just really hard to become famous. It just doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Sometimes it's because you're not good enough. Sometimes it's because just because you just didn't get heard. And that, I think that happens to 99% of the, of the music out there. Nobody ever hears it. It's just, well, I you know, it's just because fame and fortune and the kind of promotion it takes to become really well, I, well known I, just doesn't happen very often compared to all the stuff people are doing out there. Well, I brought, all the art that's being made. I, you know. I brought it up because, like, you know, everyone on Broadway is like, what's going to be the guy who wrote Hamilton? What's going to be his next show? Well, as far as I'm concerned, if he never writes a great show again, he's already written, like, the greatest show ever. Yeah, but it's already his third, too. Well, yeah. yeah. Like, Lin-Manuel <laughs> did... I know, because my friend Stu, I presented at the Tonys that year because my friend Stu had Passing Strange out there, mm-hmm, which was mm-hmm. a genius play. Yep, yep. And it was brilliant. I mean, Spike Lee made a movie of it. Mm-hmm. But he lost to Lin-Manuel that year yeah. for In the Heights, which was also great. You know, and um, this is his third play. It's the first one that the whole world knows about. But he also wrote a lot of the lyrics and music, I think, to... Uh, Bring It On, mm-hmm. a play about mm-hmm. that movie about the cheerleaders, which should have been terrible, but actually wasn't because his stuff was so good. Right. Um, you know, so he's a guy that's like, he's a really talented guy, and it's his, it's his third Broadway production, not just third play, it's his third Broadway production, and they've all been pretty successful, I think. Well, this one is stratospherically successful. Right. But, you know, it's not like he appeared out of nowhere. That's a talented guy who's been doing stuff for a while. Yeah, no, but my point was, that as a genius, you know, we can't expect everything to be perfect. The next show could, could not be good, and that's fine. No, but, and my point is, you might not even notice it. It's impossible yeah. that it, it could come and go, and you, in 10 years, he may do some more great plays. The next one could be a total flop, and we'll have forgotten that it even existed. Yeah, and maybe, you know, the, the stuff that you've done previously, it brings a, it brings a certain expectation from, from, you know, the crowd out there that's listening, and, and that's going to affect you know, which songs they think are good and which songs they think are bad. But you mentioned a minute ago that on your last album, uh, Somewhere Under Wonderland, you wrote the best song of your life. And I, I'm going to guess Palisades Park, but you tell me which one it is. Yeah, I think Palisades is the best thing I've ever written. Wow. See? I'm Look, really proud of it. Vince it's is a fan. like maybe the best arrangement the band's ever done. It's a pretty challenging song to play live. I'm proud on 50,000 levels of that song. You know, and it, it's weird that it came at a time in my career when... No, the whole world is not going to know it. It's never going to be as well-known as some of the other songs. But, you know, it's still like, I, I got, I'm still playing music because, you know, your life doesn't end when you, just, when you become slightly less famous than before. You know, that just doesn't, you keep doing your work. I think you're saying, you're right about Neil Young, too. You know, he kind of comes along and made some very memorable stuff, but he's a guy that never rested on the laurels. Mm-hmm. He kept making records, different records, all kinds of different stuff. For his whole life. Now, not everything is going to appeal to us like Harvest does. But, you know, he's not dead either, so he continues to be creative. You know, it just, it's hard when there's a moment where the whole culture lined up and said, you're it. And then later on, you're not it. You know, and uh, when people want to come see you, maybe they want to remember when they thought you were it. You want to tell them you're still breathing or walking around. It's just human. Yeah, it I, I gotta, I gotta let up on these guys a little bit, but because I just, I gotta let them do their own thing. They're artists, but sometimes they disappoint me. Well, it, it's natural. Well, it's also just, it's nothing really wrong with that. It's just that you really love Neil Young and you want to hear, you know, Harvest again. But, he, but he's doing something else. Or Rust Never Sleeps. But Neil's like, well, the nice thing is that you always have Harvest and Rust Never Sleeps. They don't have to go away for you. 
Neil's going to do what he's going to do, and you never know. It might come around that he makes one, and it does hit you the same way. Yeah. I mean, I love it. But you guy. always have the other ones anyway, because he, he made them. But I say, you, you know, know, so it's like, if you... I think the, most artists also understand the, that's just kind of like the frailty of being human. It's natural to love something that made a certain moment in your life better, and then to wish the next thing would do the same thing again. But it, you know, can't always do that. Mm. Well, now it's sad. Now you got me down. You got me down. <laughs> See? Professional moper. There you go. No, because I love Neil Young, and it's like, if I love him, I should set him free. I say, Neil, if you can hear the sound of my voice, do whatever you want to do, man. You're the greatest. And I say the same thing to Adam. I wouldn't sweat it. Neil's, Neil's doing whatever he wants yeah, to do. Yeah, you're right. He doesn't need me. He doesn't. I would feel worse for the people who didn't make that choice. Yeah, that's right. I'd like who Vince. tried to do like, the same shit over and over and over again. Tried to repeat mm -hmm. August and everything after, and then made August and everything after, and everything after that, and everything. You know what I mean? Like, Neil Young, man, he went out and did... Whatever the fuck he wanted to, I think he's probably perfectly satisfied. I mean, uh, he never repeated shit. I mean, he really is. A, he's an artist. I mean, you got you to give it up for me. I mean, he's the Van Gogh, except he did sell everything. <laughs> you know, he's a real artist. Yeah. All right, Adam, we got to get out. We got to get out because we got to let you go. We got to pay some bills here. But I want to thank you for coming on the show. Last question I want to ask you is you get to plug whatever you want. We let our guests just whatever's on your mind. What's your plug? Open mic. Go. Well, come early. If you come to our show, come early, because the first band playing before Rob and before us is this kid, Kay Phillips, from, from uh, Austin, now, now in Nashville. His band, the Con Kay Phillips and the Concho Pearls, are amazing. Uh, they played in our Outlaw Roadshow, the indie festival we put on. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually sang on his new record. We did a great song together called Hadrian, and that kid is a genius. See, now he's... And it's worth seeing. If you're going to come to the show, come out early and see Kay Phillips. So I'm now, now he said thing. that, and now he's, a, he's great. Now I'm going to download the album because I trust his judgment. I trust Adam's judgment. <laughs> I'm going to buy that album. I'm going to buy, maybe I'll buy like four or five songs Let's get just it. to we, get a taste of it. We'll we get them on the show. Adam, you were a gentleman for plugging him. You're a gentleman for coming on the show. Vince is your biggest fan. Really appreciate you coming I was, on. I was so happy he didn't squeal like a, like a, a Beatles fan in the 60s when you came on. But thank you for coming on and catch him at Conan. What's the date of that show, just so everybody knows? It's in August. Yeah, that's a good, I don't know. Okay, well, it's in August. We'll August give it, something. We'll give it after we pay some bills. We've got to do some ads. Adam Durwitz of County right. Pros, Thanks. rock and roll legend. Thanks for coming on. I really Thanks, appreciate it. Appreciate Take care. it. You got it.